If you enjoy listening to Clinical Conversations, why not become a member of the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh? Our membership provides you with access to the RCPE educational portal, the live evening medical updates, and you have options to view the symposia both in person or online. If you would like to learn more about this, please go to the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh website. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clinical Conversations. My name is Dr. Johnny Bargett, and I am a TMC member. Today, the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh is delighted to bring a talk about point of care ultrasound with Dr. Subject Claire. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you, Johnny, and thank you to the college for inviting me to speak today about my favourite subject, which is POCUS, point of care ultrasound. So I'm an acute medical consultant based in Birmingham. I've been a consultant for nearly 14 years, but also I have lots of other hats. So I'm deputy medical director for my trust and recently been appointed with NHS England to be the regional clinical advisor for acute medicine for the Midlands area, which is great because we can really have our voices heard within sort of central ground. And essentially, I've been practicing seeing POCUS for nearly sort of 17, 18 years. And I was that one person where everyone was looking at me thinking, what is this woman doing? Firstly, what is acute medicine and why has she got a probe in her hand? That's a great introduction. And yeah, I mean, I can draw parallels from my own training, being an acute medic, but my interest in point of care ultrasound as well. When I started, it was about 10 years ago. So I'd love to just chat about all things point of care ultrasound with you today. And it's a great pleasure to have you on the show, Dr. Claire. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, the journey has been really a roller coaster because I was one of the first acute medical trainees when, you know, starting in the West Midlands. So people didn't know what acute medicine was to start off with. And what they all suggested is that we all have this sort of special skill and go and do something. And I chose echocardiography. So it all started from there. So I started doing lots of echoes. As I was doing the echoes on the wards, I thought, hold on a second. I can see lots of effusions, what's happening in the lung, what's happening in the abdomen. And essentially, unlike today, there were no courses, there was no accreditation for point of care ultrasound. So essentially, I sort of learned it off by books and internet and various things. But what catapulted, I suppose, where I am today is learning echocardiography and getting the BSE, which is the accreditation for transthoracic, which then helped me understand physics and helped me understand how to get images And from there on, I sort of self-taught myself lung, abdomen, leg. And now we're doing, you know, lumbar puncture, eyes. I mean, the list is endless. Yeah, it's so pleasing to hear you talk about just all the utility, all the ways that we can apply ultrasound. And I guess just to sort of refer back to an episode that we did maybe years ago about ultrasound, and we talked about FAMIS. We're talking about the FAMIS course for acute medicine, but you've talked about BSE. Just so that our listeners know what this is, can you just explain what is POCUS and why are we talking about it? Yeah. So essentially, point of care ultrasound is a scan that you will undertake, which is geared by your history in your examination. You're answering one question. So for instance, you may think there's a pericardial effusion. So your question would be, is there a pericardial effusion? Yes, no. And what is the consequence of that? Your question may be, well, on examination history, it all feels like it's consolidation on the lung and infection, but you do a scan and actually it's not consolidation, there's a pleural effusion. So how I see POCUS is that it's part of every assessment that you do as a clinician, as a senior nurse, as a paramedic, as a GP. 
and it's coming. It's in most medical schools in US, Europe and Australia. It's coming in UK and it's going to be part of everyday medicine. And it's a tool that enables you to diagnose the patient promptly, quickly, decreases length of stay, improves the patient journey and empowers you as a clinician. And most importantly, what I would say is to our listeners out there, it is, well, it's enabled me and I've watched my peers, my juniors, it's enabled us to be the best clinician we can be because it gives us information to make that diagnosis. Yeah, I think it's just really inspiring to hear you talk about your journey, Dr. Claire. And I'd like to sort of ask you more about that. But one of the things that we talked about in our previous episode with Professor Elder was about clinical skills. And it all goes back to what you said about the history taking, the clinical exam, the differential, the investigation, and, mm. and, and the management. And I guess I want to just get an insight into how you use POCUS, because one of the things that one of my consultants asked me was, are you going to use POCUS as a consultant? When are you going to use it? Is it worth doing? Because, you know, are you going to find the time for it? What are your thoughts on that? And I'm just... Yeah, I'm a sheer example of that because I use it every single day as part of my post-hate ward rounds, as my assessments of patients. And I mean, if we just rewind this back and say, you know, in med school, we were taught percussion note and whispery practically. And I'm going to ask all the clinicians out there, how many times do you use that? We need to move with the times and technology and technology has enabled us and given us resources, these portable ultrasounds to be able to see what's happening in people's bodies there and then. So it seems a bit senseless that we're not using that. Now, how I use it every day is, so again, going back to what I said earlier, it's about, for instance, if I see somebody with coming in short of breath, they've got a globular heart, and I'm thinking of pericardial fusion, I'm going to get my probe to confirm it or not, because I'm not going to request an echocardiographer to come and do that, because it literally take me five minutes to do. But what it will do is it will enable the patient's journey to be complete, the diagnosis sorted there and then. The ramifications are huge if you don't do it. For instance, I think all the pericardial fusions I've seen are always treated as primary embolism. So they're always on VTE treatment and so forth. So yes, I do use it every day. And yeah, it does increase your time doing a ward round, but it's incredibly satisfying because you sort your patient out. And that's the whole point of us being there as acute physicians. And I say this to all my juniors and my team, our role is to get right first time. And it's essentially part of what we should be doing on assessments. But I do have this phrase is POCUS is the icing on the cake. And it's history and your examination that guides you to it. If you can't take a history where I work in City Hospital in Birmingham, no one speaks English. So, you know, our examination skills have to be really, really astute and on point. So your history and exam are key. And then you're, you know, I still use my stethoscope if I hear murmur and so forth. But I do use my POCUS every day. And when I first started as a consultant about 14 years ago, we had zero ultrasound machines. And now we've got three carts. We've got about 10 butterflies and a couple more of the sort of portable machines. And we're now taking ultrasound out in the community as a acute physician. So if I just talk about the project we're doing, which is called Epicenter. So we're going out in people's homes. We're doing point of care bloods, point of care ultrasound, making a diagnosis and treating these patients who are acutely unwell in their own homes. Because as you know, the urgent emergency care situation we're in, we can't have everyone coming into hospital and we do lots of harm, especially our frail patients coming into hospital. So let's bring the diagnostics to the patient. 
And the other point I would say is if you look at remote areas, so if you look at Africa, India, Australia, they're leading the way where they're using point-of-care ultrasound as their diagnostic because they can't get to a hospital, but they're way ahead of the game. And this portability, for instance, somebody could be in India doing a scan, but I can look at their images here. So there's a huge technological advances that we need to use. So I could tell the person in India, you need to move the probe this way, or this is the diagnosis. We need to move with the times. I think it's just really satisfying to use POCUS to positively impact on patient's journey. Just as you said, it's obviously part of the new curriculum for acute medicine, and it is a core part of the skills required to CCT, is my understanding. And I think just the ability to diagnose a hydronephrosis in someone who's coming with colicky pain, with fever, you think septic, with an acute kidney injury, that kind of picture, which can directly assist in your referral to radiology for a formal CTKUB or a urology referral, that kind of situation. Are there any types of cases that spring to mind and eat favourite oh, win gosh, moments yeah. for you? Johnny, where do I start? I mean, I'd be here all day from seeing, you know, the young girl at 10 o'clock at night who's been treated for a PE and she clearly had a massive pericardial effusion that was about a tamponade. I mean, there's that, the cases that, you know, patients are peri-arrest and you make the right diagnosis. For instance, hypovolemia is underdiagnosed because we're not very good at diagnosing it and POCUS allows you to do that. To the patients who are actually in cardiac arrest, and you can diagnose they've got a PE, so we need to thrombolize and we need to keep going for 90 minutes. I've been there and these patients have walked out of hospital because of that. I could keep going on, but I think one of my favorite cases would have to be, you know, a patient came in with just sort of lots and lots of symptoms. But again, it's always the same thing. History is not really taken properly, not a full examination, but when you do it properly, and I heard this girl had an aortic regurgitative murmur, I put the probe on and I put everything together and she actually had tachyacid arthritis. And that was diagnosing the AMU within, you know, a couple of hours her hitting us. But that was a combination of history, examination and post. But literally, I could go on and on and on. I mean, you know, the amount of endocarditis we've picked up that have presented, you know, sort of atypically to papilledema that we've diagnosed with ultrasound because fundoscopy has not been great. But, you know, if people are interested, I have written a book. And the reason I wrote that was because I wanted to share with everybody, you know, really my journey. And so they wouldn't have to do all the legwork that I had to do in the sense of all the reading. You know, how do I put the probe on? What does physics mean, you know, and so forth. And in that book, there are hundreds and hundreds of cases, real life cases from our Birmingham site, which just actually makes you think, wow, I need to learn this skill. And I hope, Johnny, when you've been using it, it just sort of makes you think, this is amazing. Yeah, or what, like, why haven't we been using it sooner? It's one of the things I always think. One of the things that I realized, I was just doing a knee aspiration not too long ago on a patient. And I just thought, I wonder what the effusion looks like on the ultrasound. Not that it was going to change necessarily the procedure because it's core clinical skill, but just being able to put a probe on and seeing fluid in, in someone's knee just helps you just reinforce that actually I can see the effusion. That's a very satisfying thing. But going through the training is so important. In terms of training, Dr. Claire, what pathway did you take? And, and obviously we've talked about, about the, the formal accreditations. How did you get into training into the ultrasound world? Yeah, so my route was not traditional, so I wouldn't advocate it for anybody. But what I would say is that, you know, actually, if I can learn it, anyone, that's the first thing I would say anyone can learn it. But as I said, I first did the British Society of Echocardiography transthoracic accreditation because there was nothing like focused ultrasound, POCUS or any of the accreditations that are out there at the moment. And we're talking about a long time ago. And then from there on, I sort of, as I said, I self-taught myself long ultrasound, abdominal and DVT and then done other things from that. 
And back from 2011, I've been teaching courses, you know, ultrasound courses. But now for those guys that are listening out there, there's a huge amount of accreditation. There is obviously FAMAS for acute medicine. There is FUSIC for intensive care. There's RCHEM for emergency medicine. And we're currently part of a committee that we're looking for. Well, we're essentially looking at accreditation for general practitioners. And I've been part of sort of upskilling and helping GPs recognize COVID on long ultrasound, which is really key for their triage and sort of essentially empowering them as well. So they don't have to sort of shut surgery when patients come in. But what I would say is starting on your journey, find a friendly person who's going to be able to be a supervisor, mentor, pick up the probe, have a play with it. I mean, I think most people find the whole thing intimidating, but there is so many resources out there. If you just go on, you know, online on YouTube, learn the basics. And what I would say is physics is very important because it makes you understand why you're not getting an image and what depth means and gain and so forth. It is a skill that you can learn by reading, by the internet and so forth. But what's really important is getting a course under your belt, getting a supervisor, mentor, and then going on that accreditation pathway, because that sort of gives you that assurance that you've got the number of cases and you get a sign off and then you can report independently. And then that really leads into governance and quality assurance, which is something I'm quite passionate about because a stethoscope in somebody's hand that doesn't know how to use it can be very dangerous, as can be a probe. So... It's really important that you understand your limitations and focus is purely focus. You are just doing point of care ultrasound. You're not doing full radiological examinations and that's not expected from you either. So there's lots of pathways that you can go on to. And I mean, I can share websites with you offline that you can tap into that will guide you to what route you want to get into. I think the listeners will find that really helpful. And certainly the key thing that I've realized is you need to have good relations with the radiology team in your hospital and the cardiologists, the respiratory team. Is that something that you've encountered as well? Yeah, I mean, I think because I was sort of a leading figure in POCUS and I had my BSc accreditation, I was, I mean, I've always, as an acute physician, we need to have very tight relations with our specialists because our unit can't work without them and so forth. But when, you know, our team ringing up and say, okay, we've got an endocarditis or we've got an empyema, we've seen them, we've sorted them out. They're really happy because they've got credible physicians that are cracking on with it. What we've created in our trust and is something that perhaps colleagues want to think about is a trust-wide focus group where we share images and stories with respiratory, with cardiology and with radiology. And we audit all the scans we do. We audit not only the great ones, but also why didn't we get good images and so forth. But it's having that shared learning and also that good, solid relations with your specialties because they will let you get on with it. I mean, back in the day when I first started, Radiology used to be quite, you know, protective of ultrasound, but they're really, I mean, I would say they've moved on hugely and they're really keen for the front door acute physicians, generalists just to get on with it because they've got enough work on their plate. I think there's an appetite for it. You know, IMT doctors coming through, foundation year doctors, medical students, whenever they see the ultrasounds, it's something that I've certainly, in my experience, that they're really interested in it. Where do you see, obviously you've talked about application and procedures, where do you see ultrasound as a clinical skill? Is this something that should be an extension of clinical skills or even membership exams like PACES? Where I see it is, I see it as part of your clinical skill, clinical assessment. It's already being taught in a few medical schools, so three medical schools in UK. And we'll just follow, you know, the US, Europe and Australia. So they, you know, 50% of US medical schools teach POCUS and they all, you're not going to believe this, but they all get sort of their own ultrasounds as they start day one on, on a medical school. Wow. So I can see this happening here and there is a real benefit because if you are teaching anatomy and physiology, you can really put it together because you can actually see what's happening in the patient's body there and then. And you can actually see what's happening to the management 
management, the treatment you're giving. So somebody's in pulmoedema. Okay, this is what it looks like on a chest X-ray, but this is what it looks like on ultrasound. And this is what it looks like when we've given fruzamide. And this is what somebody's heart looks like in heart failure. So they can understand it and put it all together. That's at med school. And in my unit, all our FY1s are not allowed to call the anesthetist for Venflons unless they've put an ultrasound probe on it and had a go themselves. So our F1s are already ultrasound proficient. And one of my F1s has already done their lung ultrasound accreditation. And I think that's because the unit we're in. But I just see this as part of, because I'm getting lots of requests from IMTs, you know, who want to get this accreditation. And I see absolutely because it's part of the acute take, you know, it completely makes sense. But they do need to get the basics right, because if you can't take a decent history and a thorough examination, then the next bit, as I said, is the icing on the cake. And it really does require skill. You need some manual dexterity and make sure that there's that governance behind it. So I see, and I've said to my colleagues who are, you know, feeling a bit out of it at the moment, they need to get on it, learn it, because the medical students are already doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's here. It's 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 happening. It's, here. it's not going away, and we need to use it, and we need to appreciate the power of it as well. You mentioned that you're using it for lumbar puncture. Can you give us yes. a bit of insight into that? Yeah, I mean, we are married up with an eye hospital, so we have a lot of IIH that comes through. So you can imagine the lumbar punctures are quite challenging in itself because BMI is really high. So there's huge studies out there, and I just want to reiterate to the audience, there's a huge amount of evidence that ultrasound POCUS is superior to our clinical examination. So there's some great work done by Liechtenstein, which shows that auscultation and chest x-ray is inferior to lung ultrasound and lung ultrasound actually is comparable to CT and that was found in the COVID work. And going back to the lumbar puncture work, there's huge evidence again, which shows that if you do a lumbar puncture with ultrasound, you have a significant increased chance of getting the LP. There is decreased chance of these patients having post-LP headache. You have a decreased length of stay. It's there because we all know that LPs, it's more or less a blind procedure when you cannot find the, or even feel the spinal processes. But the ultrasound enables you to see it, enables you to see, okay, this is where I need to go. And I recently held a one-day course on POCUS and neurology. So we covered lumbar puncture, we covered papilledema, we covered giant cell arthritis, and we covered transcranial Doppler. And, you know, it really went down well. And since then, it's really interesting. One of my registrars came to me and she said, you're not going to believe this, but two of our like very senior registrars couldn't get the LP. And then I picked up the probe and I got it first time. So that's just, you know, one case telling you the difference it can make. And it's really interesting because I talk about ultrasound a lot and POCUS, but it's only when colleagues and juniors actually do it and then they realize it for themselves. Wow, this is amazing. I need to do this. It will help me as a clinician, but most importantly, it helps a patient. So that patient didn't need to come in, didn't need to have fluoroscopy, didn't need to stay in days and so forth. It was done and dusted. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, I think one of the things that I realise is that the patients actually really like having an ultrasound done. I don't know what your experience of that is. They just feel yeah, like... absolutely. They, they love it. I mean, I found that more so during COVID. So during COVID, we scanned every single person. And sadly, our units were in the city really highly deprived. So we got really hit really hard. And as you can imagine, there was no relatives and, you know, there we were in our PPE looking very scary. But what I found is that as I was scanning them, they felt we were there next to them, but they could see what was going on in their lungs. But, you know, we could describe to them what was going on. And as they got better, they could see that, you know, there were changes and we pointed that out. And I think it's really gratifying for them because you're bringing the diagnostic to them and you're with the patient longer. You're spending more time with them and you are very close to them and your patient doctoral relationship definitely is stronger. 
Yeah, you mentioned that this tool of ultrasound can be used at home. Um, you mentioned that GPs can learn to do this as a skill. And one of the things, I guess, within hospital medicine is that the acute medics, the intensive care doctors, the emergency medicine doctors are all learning the skill. But, you know, surely this skill should be open to other specialties. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I'm a real believer that anybody, whether you're a renal physician, whether you're a general practitioner, whether you're a paramedic, whether you're ACP, this is part of your clinical assessment. If you're dealing with patients, whether acute or chronic, POCUS is really part of that. I'm training up a few GPs who are absolutely, I mean, they send me the images and just said, look, you know, what they found is hydronephrosis. They pick up a lot of those. They've used it for MSK, which is a big piece of their work, to gynae, which is a big piece of their work. So it's brilliant for different groups of people, even though, you know, for acute side, our usage may be different to what GPs use it. But my belief is that this focus needs to start in the community. What You know, if a patient comes in right up a quadrant pain, classical history of gallstones, the poor GP has to refer them into for a scan. They don't need to. They could just put a probe on and they can see the gallstones and they can make a straight referral to the surgeons. It saves time. It empowers a clinician and improves the patient journey. So uh, we're setting up, we've got this sort of committee where we want to look at the curriculum for GPs and really need to get them now on the bandwagon. And I can see that happening. Again, learning from Australia, Europe and America, they're way ahead of the game. So general practitioners, POCUS is part of their usual work. We've talked about so much and it's just, it's really inspiring to hear you talk about all the work that you've done on this, Dr. Claire. Going forwards, where do you see POCUS going in the next five, 10 years and beyond? And what will your role in that be? Sure. I mean, I, I have no doubt POCUS is going to explode in the sense of our medical students are already being taught on it. And I can see this going through the IMT, but spreading into other areas as well. So I have trained up physiotherapists. I've trained up some ACPs as well. Paramedics are general practitioners. So I think it's going to be a tool that's used by all clinicians. There's no doubt about this. I really think we need to move with technology. We need to move with time. And I even see that patients are using it themselves. For instance, if you know you need monitoring of a pleural fusion, some patients can use that and report back. And you know, we're talking in telemedicine, we're talking about clinicians, talking to other clinicians in other continents. There is so much more to come. I mean, my book also goes outside the box in the sense it sort of covers palliative care, hospital at home and so the other subjects that you wouldn't traditionally think POCUS would fit in, but it touches every single part of medicine. It's great to hear you talk about this, Dr. Claire. Before we wrap things up, do you have any key messages for the listeners and any key advice for anybody that's listening to this and thinking, this is me, this is what I want to do, I want to learn this skill? Sure, absolutely. Go for it. Don't be scared of the machine. There are lots and lots of resources out there that will enable you to learn this skill. You need to be defiant and you need to keep going to get your logbook and accreditation. It's really important for governance and accreditation and quality assurance. But once you've learned the skill, you will never, ever look back. Keep championing in focus. But yeah, don't forget the power of focus. Thanks again, Dr. Claire. And once again, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure that our listeners will listen and be inspired. So I'd like to just say thank you and wrap things up here. And to all our listeners, if you have any feedback for Dr. Claire, or if you want to look at those show notes, then please do. And please send us your thoughts. Once again, Dr. Subject Claire. Thank you so much.